Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back in Card Chronicle Podcast here. Mike Rutherford joined today by uh, in Card Chronicle. Uh, we're going to talk to Keith in just a second. Before we do that, I feel like I have to start today's podcast off with a little bit of an apology. Um, I know that I joke about the sound quality, and we talk about how it's the charm of the podcast, and you know, don't complain about it. I'm not going to listen to it. I, I'm, I'm sorry for the way that the last podcast sounded, the one that came out on Thursday morning. At least the first eight minutes, I know a lot of people, it was bad. I don't know what's up with my microphone. It's probably because I'm using a 15-year-old computer. But I know I sounded bad, and Danny was sounding crystal clear, and, and it was rough. And I, 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 in all seriousness, I'm going to work on the audio at some point. It's going to get better. We've got some uh, some cool sponsors lined up for the months ahead that I'm excited about, and I don't want them to listen and hear, again, like us sounding like we're broadcasting from – inside a paper cup in a public restroom. Um, that's, it's going to change at some point. But thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for standing by us. As far as this podcast, I'm just going to do it like we've been doing it and pray that it sounds a little bit better than it has. Uh, fingers crossed. No guarantees. If it sounds like shit, um, all I can do is apologize in the next one. We'll just keep doing this. I'm going to apologize at the beginning of every podcast for the sound <laughs> of the previous podcast. But with that out of the way, Keith Wynn joining us back here for our usual uh, pre-game pod episode leading into the weekend. Keith, how are you? I'm good, man. I think the, the funniest thing about the sound thing is literally a week ago, you 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 were just like adamant, like, stop complaining. I'm not doing anything about it. And it's like a week later, it's like, yeah, my bad. I could be moved very easily. It's not, it, it's like, <laughs> there's a certain line, like even me, who I try not to take much of anything seriously. At a certain point, I'm like, all right, yeah, I've, I've got to recognize this is, this is pretty bad. It's gone beyond like it, it's beyond cute and adorable. It's just downright bad and unlistenable. Um, I almost re-recorded the first five minutes just by myself talking, but decided not to. But um, Keith, last week we were talking, as predicted by the way, the Miami fans did find the podcast. Um, they, they <laughs> immediately they, they immediately found it and like were very angry about a podcast where I was saying that I didn't think we were going to win the game and actually picked Miami to win. Like, and after the game, they still did the thing where it was like, oh, but I thought on At Card Chronicles podcast, he said they had a defense that was a lot better. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, you, you don't need to be finding reasons to be upset. But last podcast, you were very confident. Not very confident. You were confident. You said that you'd had the game as a loss pretty much the entire offseason up until, like, Thursday, and you started feeling good about it. I didn't feel great about it. Do you feel – I don't know. How differently do you feel this week after watching what we all watched last Saturday? You know, it's funny because on Saturday I was frustrated because, you know, just like everybody else, you're watching this game and, you know, they, they give up these big plays that, you know, we, we saw last year. We thought we were going to get better this year. And I think I think there was a kind of a instant reaction from a lot of people that 
uh, you know, we're going to be just like we were last year on defense. And, you know, I think for me, it's, it's, it's always different because as, as you know, and I think anyone that reads the site knows I, I'm, I'm watching the game multiple times and I'm literally breaking down what's going down, going on for the film review. So I get, I'm, I'm getting more in depth in it than most people. And, there, there's still some frustration, but I think that going back and rewatching it and digging into the numbers, I mean, I was I was more confident because I felt the defense played played well against Western Kentucky, and quite literally, if you take out, I think three plays from the Miami game, like Louisville only allowed like two yards per carry running the ball. Uh, they only allowed like five yards per play, which is really good for this defense. And, but you have the big plays that that's why they lost the game. I mean, there's no way you can't win football games when you give up those types of plays. So I was more disappointed than like upset because I feel like the defense has improved. I feel like they have some things that are working better this year, but they still have these glaring huge things that you just can't, you can't do that. And that didn't happen when the, when, when these, when the staff was at app state. Uh, but I, I, you know, I can't say that, you know, this isn't a potential issue that, Ryan Brown, maybe, you know, there's they're, they're fair to question whether or not he can fix these types of things now. For people who maybe are, are listening to the podcast but haven't checked out your film reviews or uh, haven't seen your tweets about the game, did you kind of, because Danny and I danced around it a little bit on um, Thursday's podcast, and, you know, we talked, like, Isaiah Hayes, rough night for him all the way around, but those three big plays, which I think everybody agrees, difference in the game, can you explain in layman's terms um, – what the fuck happened, for lack of a <laughs> better way to phrase it? What, like, what in the world went wrong on all three of those plays? So first and foremost, all of these plays, Miami was running in the same formation. So that's the first thing that I think people should know. Because it's, impor- it's important to understand why one of those plays didn't make any sense. So the first play, uh, I think the issue was, uh, was, was that uh, Louisville decided to run a stunt to on the base call and then when Miami went in motion that should be called off so they shouldn't have done what the original play call called for because Miami was now in the formation that they I, and when I, I'm not joking they ran this formation at least 20 times so they had a plan Miami had a plan to do this so when that happened more or less Louisville gave up the edge and Miami was easily just literally ran the ball outside and just was wide open so that's just a uh, a miscommunication probably the second play was the play where um, I believe uh, Isaiah Hayes just bit on a play fake. There's, there's no other way of putting it. And Miami set the play up. Isaiah Hayes fell for the for the fake. I mean, they 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 purposely did what they did to make Isaiah Hayes do what he did, and he did it. I mean, there's no other really way of putting that. And on the third play, for whatever reason, Miami lined up in that formation. Uh, Anthony Johnson, who's the cornerback, didn't go and line up with the receiver like he's supposed to. And for whatever reason, they, that didn't happen, and they scored an easy touchdown. So, I mean, Miami ran the same same formation. Louisville lined up in the same way every other time other than the last play. And then they played it differently with the stunt that I was talking about in the first play. They didn't run that stunt on any other time that Miami ran that formation. So you have two plays where one's a miscommunication or two miscommunications, I guess. And then the Isaiah Hayes play where he, you know, he bit on a play where they specifically targeted him. And it's as simple as that. But like I said, you can't you can't allow those things and just kind of blow them off as, hey, man, these things happen. 
I mean, teams have busted coverages. I was watching Pitt against Syracuse. They gave up a long touchdown. Pat, Pat Narduzzi said it was a blown coverage. It happens, but it happens way more to Louisville than it does to other teams. And that's just something that, you know, that's that's fair for people to have, a, obviously, an issue with that. I feel like, I mean, you could take any one of those three plays away, and it's probably at least a little bit of a different game. I'm not saying Louisville definitely wins or anything like that. But the one that I think was the absolute backbreaker was the last one. Just because, I mean, for one, if you're the offense, you start thinking, like, these guys aren't going to – like, what's going on? I think you lose a little bit of confidence there. But the, the big thing to me was we came out, we got the ball to start the second half, marched down the field, really impressive drive, we score, and you're feeling like, okay, game on. We, we had a bad first half. We missed a couple of opportunities. Now it's time to go. They have that big play right away and answer right back. But then we have the resiliency, and we've seen this with Scott Satterfield teams a lot, to bounce back and have another big-time drive. And you're thinking, okay, now, let's go. And to have it happen again exactly the way it had just happened minutes earlier, I think that was when every Louisville fan, and if we're being honest, probably the team was kind of like, this just is not going to be our night. And I think yeah. there probably was like like a little bit of anger on the offensive side. Like, what the fuck? We just got done. I don't know. I don't know if you felt the same way. I think those things are that that plays a role, and I, you know, I, I was happy to see some things like late in the game they they gave up a play and it was down on the one yard line. And they forced a field goal, so the defense was still playing hard, and that's that's those things are they're good, and you hope that if you if you're in a mindset maybe like I am that hey maybe this is fixable, maybe this could end up being a fluke. You know, me being kind of more positive about it, I guess, and that's just maybe. Like I said, watching this stuff over and over again, you know, you see little things that show up as positives, and I guess that's maybe where my mindset's always different than most people, which is probably fair. But I do think that at a point you kind of get a, I think that frustration sets in on 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 everybody else. I mean, these are individual mistakes, and that's something that not even just the offense is going to be kind of pissed off. You have other guys on the defense that are like, guys, okay, I'm doing my best, I'm working hard. You're gonna get to a point where some things are gonna say, okay, this is bullshit. Like I'm, I'm working my ass off, and you guys are making individual mistakes because the the whole the whole idea of the defense is the the mindset of the other ten. Like you you do your job so that you're you're and you're trusting the other ten guys to do their job. And when you have someone that's not pulling their weight, that has the potential to really kind of get under people's skin, cause some frustration, cause guys to to kind of freelance and say, I'm gonna do my own thing. And you hope that that doesn't set in. I don't. I'm, I feel pretty good that it's not. And that's that's another thing with having the defensive coordinator two years in a row is that guys are more bought into what they're supposed to do. But when you have those kind of disappointing, frustrating plays, that has a that has to wear you down mentally. I still feel like, and again, maybe this is just rosy glasses or whatever you want to say. Like I, I still feel every bit is confident in this team's ability to have the type of season that we all want them to have as I did going into the game I'm a little bit shaken just I thought they'd play better on Saturday but I also think that this is a group and it's a coaching staff that's really good at dealing with that shaking confidence and, and I think more than anything Saturday night you saw a team that just I don't know if they were ready for that moment like like and I know that that's again I'm, I'm using all like the, the simple fan cliches but they just they looked like they were a little bit caught up in everything. They just didn't They didn't play the way they – it looked a lot like last year's Miami game for a lot of the time. It just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And we saw after last year's Miami game, they really picked themselves back up and had a strong finish to the season. So I think we'll, we'll obviously know a whole lot more after Saturday's game against Pitt. But I still feel like they have a shot at going – eight and three, um, which was my prediction going into the season. 
having a good year, make, making themselves, putting themselves back into that ACC race, uh, being a team that's talked about as a potential top two finisher four or five weeks from now, at least going into that Notre Dame game. Where's your confidence level um, right now related to you know where it was a week ago? Yeah, I still feel really good. Uh, my actual concern is less about the defense and maybe a little bit about how the offense was kind of taken out of what they wanted to do. Um, and, I, and it's funny, you actually pointed this out twice. Uh, we did a pod with Big Red Louie with the guys, and then we actually did radio a while back, maybe, you know, springtime. And you actually pointed this out way back then that there's a potential for the offense to kind of take a step back because the book is out there. Like, there's people are going to know how to defend Scott Satterfield's offense. And I'll be 100% honest, I was completely on the other side of this because I felt like they were going to be bringing new wrinkles to the offense. Dwayne Leopard talked about how vanilla things were. But Miami did something that Kentucky did last year. They just took away the big plays. It was all about keeping everything in front of you. And what teams are – I think there's a potential for teams to put Louisville in a position where you have to be efficient. And Louisville is not efficient on offense. They don't do well with negative plays. We know that. They They have 20 on the season. Five of those were kind of BS at the end of the Western Kentucky game, but they led a nation in negative plays last year. They're they're going to get off schedule, which you know gets the, gets you in a second and long and third and long, and that's what teams teams are willing to try to put Louisville in that spot. And Miami just let Louisville run the ball. They had no interest in bringing another safety in. They just said we're going to keep these big plays, Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick under control and we're going to make you run the ball all the way down the field on us and it worked in this in this at this at the start of the second half um but you look at how they did in the first half Louisville couldn't convert a third down so yeah we're going to let you run the ball get in the third downs and we're going to stop you on third down and it worked and I have a real concern that that is something that other teams are going to try to emulate because it's worked twice now um, and it's worked pretty much in, in the games that Louisville has lost over the last year plus now. So it's it's a genuine concern to me. All right. Much to the delight of, I'm sure, everybody listening, we're going to turn the page <laughs> for the Miami game finally. I, I know it's just – I was ready to turn it on Monday, and we haven't gotten there. It is Friday now, though. At least we're recording this Thursday night, but it's going to post Friday. We're going to move on. We're going to talk about Pitt. Before we do that, we actually have a little bit of – and this happens – I don't know what you would say. It doesn't happen as frequently as it used to, certainly when Rick Pitino was here, but it still happens, I'd say, I don't know, two, three, four times every September, October, before basketball season's here, where basketball kind of hijacks the conversation in the middle of football season. Uh, I know this isn't something that a lot of people elsewhere in the country have to deal with, but we certainly do. And and so we're going to talk a little bit about the story that was the big news around here locally on Thursday. Uh, And of course, it has to deal with the Louisville-Kentucky basketball game. Uh, Chris Mack was on a podcast with John uh, Fanta, who covers the Big East. And uh, non-conference scheduling college basketball, not sure how much people have been following the news. It is an absolute mess. Or if you want to use Jeff Goodman's uh, description, it's a shit show. He said it a billion times. Um, Nobody has any idea how to make this happen. Leagues across the country are doing different things. There's now talk of doing all these bubbles. And so Chris Mack was asked about playing Kentucky this year because Kentucky's announced six non-conference games. You're allowed to play seven non-conference games if you have a 20-game conference schedule, which everybody expects the SEC to do. Um, I think UK fans are assuming that last spot's being held out for Louisville. So Mac was asked, you know, are you guys going to play? How are you going to do this? And his response was, quote, I don't know, 
where's the equity of Kentucky coming here in front of no fans and then having to go back to Rupp Arena in front of 21,000 fans? But I recognize that we recognize and we recognize the best rivalry in all of college basketball. If there was somehow we could do this at a neutral site, again, that's without talking to Kentucky and what their scheduling holds. So Chris Mack saying it's it's a fair point. I'll, I'll give him that. It's not fair if we host Kentucky this year at the KFC Yum Center, playing in front of no fans, having no home court advantage, and then we go right back to business as usual next year and play in front of 21,000 rabid fans at Rupp Arena. I, I get where he's coming from. Um, he made similar comments about the game against Cincinnati. But not surprisingly, this didn't sit real well with, with, with fans on either side, to be quite frank. Kentucky fans called, you know, Mac a whiner, trying to avoid the game. He's scared of Kentucky, all the typical bullshit you'd expect to hear. And a lot of Louisville fans kind of were not saying things as strongly, but saying, you know, come on, man. Like, this is Battle of the Bluegrass. We've got to play the game. I don't care if we have to play it wherever. It, it's going to happen. And I, I, I side with that mentality. I think the game absolutely has to happen. We're not going to get the football game this year. That sucks enough. It, taking basketball away would be almost sacrilegious at this point. Um, I've got a follow-up thought, but before any thoughts on this matter, do you, do you agree with Chris Mack or do you say, I don't care how you do it. We got to play the game. I mean, I think it's just part of the deal when you, when you, when you're coaching at a school like this with this type of rivalry, you just get it done. I mean, I, I, he's got a point. I, I, I don't, I don't blame him for making that point, but you know, my mindset with all of this is just, you just do whatever it takes to get the games done. I mean, uh, there's a there's a possibility if there's a possibility to play it and play it safe, which is what we're which is where we are. You just make it. You just get it done. I think it's I think it's maybe a little bit of a misstep to kind of turn it into potentially, you know, a story. But um, I don't. I, I do understand where he's coming from at least. Are you ready for some hot podcast inside source news? <laughs> are you ready for this? Sure. Okay, <laughs> don't sound too excited. Uh, so here's what I think is happening, because I, I think Chris Mack kind of is playing an angle here, and it was taken probably not the way that he wanted to play. But according to sources, Card Chronicle Podcast is reporting that this uh, th- this Louisville bubble that was reported, I guess, last week, or maybe it was the beginning of this week, who knows, time means nothing anymore. Uh, but Chris Mack had sent that tweet out saying, you know, spots are filling up fast. We've got a Louisville bubble here. We're going to have lodging. We're going to have, you know, at least four or five games. Twelve teams can play here. And I think a lot of people, myself included, just took that to mean we're getting a bubble. Like, we're, we're going to be one of the places that hosts one of these non-conference bubbles. Right. According to sources, we'll have a hard time filling spots. Um, it is not going according to plan. <laughs> and I, I think the big thing is Kentucky's now doing its own bubble. They're paying teams to go play there. Like, uh, Detroit – who has Brad Calipari, they're getting paid to go there. Hartford, I don't even know the connection there. They're getting paid to go there. Louisville, conversely, is wanting programs across the country to pay what I'm told is a, a kind of a hefty fee to be a part of this. They're saying, you know, it's like Sandals, Jamaica, the Michael Scott episode in the office, like all-inclusive, baby. Like you, you get what you pay for. And a lot of teams, I don't know if you've been following the news, strap for cash right now. Like money isn't exactly flowing to athletic programs across the country. So teams are a little bit uh, hesitant to, to jump into this ship right now. And what 
what makes me believe that this is posturing by Chris Mack is he said the exact same thing about the Cincinnati game. Louisville was scheduled to play Cincinnati on November 9th. That's clearly not going to happen with the new November 25th start date. And Mack and John Brandon, who used to be at NKU, like they're boys. Like they're, they're friends. They talk all the time. That's how this game got scheduled. And when Mack was asked about the possibility of playing Cincinnati now, he said – basically like it's the same thing like how fair is it for us to go play their home game in front of literally no fans and then have them return the game like there's no equity and all this to me this is Chris Mack I I think he thought when this whole deal was proposed like UK is going to jump right in like like, they're not playing their big tournaments they're not going to be able to travel why wouldn't they come here Cincinnati real close they're going to come here we can get Bellarmine we can get NKU we can get you know mid low and, and high major teams from this area and it hasn't really I think gone like that and so now i think he's trying to put a little bit of public pressure on uk and cincinnati and i don't think that that's going to to work but i think that that's i think that's the genesis of of what happened here in the end i think louisville's going to go ahead and play kentucky i would be shocked if that game doesn't happen but i think he's trying to kind of get public sentiment on his side and maybe push uk and cincinnati to join uh the louisville bubble and i don't know if that's going to work but we'll see Uh, but anyway that was the uh, the hot card chronicle inside podcast news there we can uh, we, we can move on from basketball uh because non-conference scheduling is is a mess right now it's going to continue to be a mess and let's talk about saturday's game against Pitt. noon kickoff it feels like the old days louisville and Pitt, unless they're playing on a weeknight it feels like they have to play a noon game um and keith if you read any story about this game it's going to say something that makes the pit defense sound like the 85 bears. I, I don't know um, how people are jumping to this conclusion after two games uh, where they haven't played top notch competition, but uh, I know you're in love with Paris Ford. How good is this pit defense? Um, you know, I, I think this defense is really good. And I think part of the reason why they're getting some love is because they were, they were a little bit underrated, underrated last year. Um, and they have this really good defensive front that that Hannah has this chaotic scheme that's um they 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 make a lot of big plays on defense uh which that that's always fun to watch whenever you have teams that have fun defenses they get a little bit more love than the teams that are just efficient uh so i think that's part of it but i think that they have a couple really really good players like i think Paris Ford is one of the best players in the country and i don't know that he gets that recognition uh, and then you pair him up with DeMar Hamlin at the other safety spot. And I, I, I wrote this this week. I think they're the best safety duo in the country. So they do have some legit um, star power, so to speak. And then they have this uh, this scheme that allows their, their best players to really kind of play at the highest level. So I think that's really important with their defense. And that's kind of why they get a little, little bit more love. But I, I think it's important to point out that, yeah, they play two really bad offenses. Um, Syracuse's offensive line might be worse than it was last year, which is I thought I, I think I wrote this last year. It's the worst offensive line I've ever seen, and I, we watched Louisville's offensive lines a couple years ago. Obviously, those were pretty bad. So um, I think that's kind of something that needs to be kind of like a caveat, I guess, is that they played some shitty offenses, but um, they are really good. I don't know that necessarily the things they do are going to like shut down Louisville's potential high-powered offense, the offense that we saw last year. You know, I guess. Uh, but they they're definitely a uh, it's a it's a really strong test so I think they're really good I mean they shut out Austin P and, and then like held a Syracuse team that only scored six against UNC to 10 points like I'm not saying they're not good but like the, the this whole notion that like there was an AP story this week talking about how like the ACC had all these teams statistically ranking in the top 20 in total defense and I think one of them was Louisville and I'm like 
dude, the sample size here is extremely limited across the country. Like we got, we have conferences that haven't started playing. We've got teams that can't play games because they keep getting postponed because of COVID. Like I, I don't think you can be reading too deeply into team rankings right now, but it, like, they do have the pieces there. There's no question about it. Uh, you mentioned Paris Ford is, is a fantastic player. Their safeties all in all are, are, are really good with them being so good on the back end of that defense. Do you expect them to emulate a little bit of what you talked about Miami doing, trying to take away that big play, not getting beat over the top, making Louisville kind of, uh, you know, dink and dunk and beat them with a run game for four quarters? You know, I, I, I it's weird. I don't. I, I don't. I feel like Pat Narduzzi um, and and I, uh, I'm losing their defensive coordinator's name. They're both old school guys. They're 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 like them. They're you know that old school mindset of like just, you know we line up and we play our game. Um, I think there, you know, there, there's coaches that are that way, and you have guys that are like Manny Diaz and and you know his defensive coordinator, like, well, no, we're just going to do the whatever we have to do to win the football game. I think Narduzzi is going to come out. He ran before they changed defensive coordinators before last year. He ran the most outdated defense I think I've ever seen, and they would just give up big plays nonstop, and he just wouldn't change his defense until finally, I think he thought he was going to get fired if he didn't. So, I think they 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 they're, they're going to play confident in their scheme. They have a really good pass rush. So I think the thought process will be that, hey, we're going to play our game. We're going to force, you know, Louisville to take these deep shots and have those elongated, you know, uh, play action passes where we feel like we can get our pass rush to Malik Cunningham before he can get the ball off. Um, I, I, that's my expectation because I feel like they're going to be confident in their run defense, which is, uh, you know, shut down to terrible offenses. So um, if they can if they can stop the run, put Louisville in these long yardage situations, um, I think they feel like they can actually uh, um, win that way. And I think that's good. Personally, I think that's a plus for Louisville because I think that's where their offense plays the best. When you take, when you have the opportunity to get 2-2 at will and one-on-one coverage, Paris Ford is great. DeMar Hamlin's great. They don't have 2-2 at will speed. Um, and then their corners on the outside, I don't think they're the type of, they're the talent level to keep up with Justin Marshall and Des Fitzpatrick and, and the other things they can do out there. So uh, I think they'll play it like they normally do, and I, I think that's why I feel pretty good about this game. Offensively, it feels weird to talk about this because I, I feel like Pitt, for as long as we've been following college football like our entire lives, um, has had a, a shitty quarterback. Like the, like the Dan Marino era is long gone. Like they just, it, it, like the fact that Tyler Palco is the best they've had in the last 20 years is, is kind of hilarious. Like he was supposed to be their big guy, but um, Kenny Pickett, Pretty good. I, I feel like he's I, – I feel safe in saying that. I know his completion percentage numbers are, are really high. He's cut down the turnovers against two pretty bad teams so far. Um, his stats last year were, were overly impressive. Can we say Kenny Pickett pretty good? I, yeah, I think that's a perfect description. <laughs> like He's just kind of an average guy. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he, he makes a couple plays here and there where, you know, you get impressed by his escapability and he extends plays sometimes and – he might make a throw. Like he had, a, he had a pretty nice throw against Syracuse to to their freshman receiver, uh, Jaden Alice Addison, Jalen Addison, I think, is his first name. Um, and I and I, I remember watching the play. I was like, Man, that's a that's a pretty nice throw. And you know, but you always put the pretty in front of it. You know, like that's ah, pretty good. Nah, he's all right. You know, it's not anything like that wows you. Um, and he's I basically think pit football. Like he like, Ty, like Kenny Pickett is basically he's pit football encompassed at the quarterback position. He's he, he, pretty good. Yeah, he's yeah. okay. He's all right, and and I, and it's hard because they they need him to be 
better than RA because they can't run the football. Uh, they were really bad at it last year. They were really bad at against Austin P. They were bad at against it, it bad at you know against Peace also. Um, they don't really block it very well, and their running backs. They have some talent there, but they're not really dynamic. Uh, AJ Davis is their starter. They'll play uh, another another smaller back. AJ Davis is a four star guy that Louisville was a finalist for, and I was really disappointed when they got him when they didn't get him because I thought he was a guy that would that would develop and become a very dynamic athlete uh, because he he kind of had that that making and, and at the high school level, and he's just the same guy he was in high school. He never really got better. Um, and I, I think that's that's really hurting them because when you don't block the run game really well, you need guys that can make moves, make people miss, run through tackles, things like that. And they just don't have that in their running back room right now. So that's one thing with, with Pitt's offense. I'm hoping that we get the Louisville run defense we saw against West Kentucky, the Louisville run defense we saw on like 25 out of 28 carries against Miami where they only allow two yards per carry. Um, if they get that going, you're putting Pitt in third and longs. And, you know, that's the name of the game. I mean, I, I think I mentioned that three or four times now, getting teams off schedule, getting them in third and long situations where you can hopefully put pressure on the quarterback, where you can hopefully take away passing lanes. Um, you know, Louisville struggled at times with, with Miami uh, in that situation. I thought De'Aaron King played an unbelievable game. I don't see Kenny Pickett being a De'Aaron King type of guy. So, I think they can. They have a potential to to really force Kenny Pickett, who is just all right, to win the game for Pitt, and I think that's a good bet for Louisville. Outside of how good Louisville and really all Scott Satterfield teams have been bouncing back from losses, here's why I feel really confident about this game. Pitt is the shutdown forecast guys are great at making fun of Pitt. Like they call them the, the super weapon. Like they're charging. There's always that one game where Pitt just comes out of you know, fucking nowhere and shocks everybody. And they, they say that the whole season they're just charging for that moment. But if you follow pit football enough, and God, why would you? Jeff Greer, what are you doing with your life? If you follow them, it's like chaos theory. If you follow it enough, what looks like complete madness and inconsistency starts to make a little bit of sense. And you can start to predict the patterns a little bit. Pitt, they they never get too good. Like you can never have a pit team that's 7-0 and ranked number six in the country. Like, that's just not going to happen. When they start to get, like, kind of good, like they are right now, that's when they fall off. That's when they fall off. This is the game that they lose. They're number 21 in the country right now. They're a three-point favorite at home. People kind of see it as a toss-up game. This is where they fall flat on their face. And if you look at their schedule after Louisville, they've got uh, NC State and BC. We can't have a 5-0 and pit team going into Notre Dame, playing like the game day game of the week in a top 15. Like that shit does not happen. It's not going to happen. They may win the Notre Dame game, but it's going to be coming off of like a loss to Louisville and a loss to BC where they look just abysmal. Like that's that's how it's going to work. And that's why I feel good about this game. This, this is the, exactly the type of game that Pitt always loses. They'll be fine long term. They're going to lose – a couple of games to crappy teams. They might beat Clemson. Who the fuck knows? Like this is what <laughs> Pitt does. But I feel good about it just for that reason alone. I mean, it feels Pitt is just very, they're very Jeff Greer. I mean, you know, like it's it's, oh, it's, 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 it's like a it, they 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 give you kind of the highs and lows, but they're they're really just kind of they're in the middle there. You know, they don't really you know there's some positives, but there's some things that they take away, and that's uh. Very Greer-like, in my opinion. That is insane Greer <laughs> slander. Like, first of all, I don't know what highs we're talking about here. I feel like Greer's pretty, pretty even keeled. The highs and the lows. 
Oh man, that is that's bad. I my introduction to Jeff Greer was me making fun of him wearing a sweater at a Louisville football practice in the middle of the summer. Like he had just gotten a job here, and so I have to at some point I have to even just invent slander just because it's it's just what I have to do. It's you know I don't see the guy anymore, so you know I gotta slander him from from a distance. He was so defensive about those sweaters the first like two or three years. <laughs> He's like. It's the middle of September, guys. Come on. I'm like, it's 85 degrees outside. And if you notice, he, he's given in. Like, like he has totally come down on that. He, he has totally realized that when you live in Louisville, it's not like living in Rhode Island. Like, like temperatures change. Climates change. People dress accordingly. And he's he has totally just, like, bowed the head. Like, like he's given up. He's like, okay. And he doesn't wear sweaters in, in mid-September anymore. Um, I haven't yeah, seen a sweater in years. It's great. Yeah, he did he didn't even wear this way. The, the new Greer is, is totally different. Like he, he went to Europe for a trip and like it just changed him. Like it, he's that kid. He's still a first year college student who just went over, went abroad for one semester and now won't stop talking about what real pizza is because they had like one piece of pizza in, uh, in, in Rome one afternoon when they got off their boat. Like that's that's who Jeff Greer is these days. But um, he's Pitt. He's, he's Pitt personified. Yeah, Pitt. I, just, uh, I, I felt like we had to have some kind of. Uh, uh, Greer slander session in this uh, podcast. Obviously, I mean clearly. What, what are we doing if we don't? Um, I gave my nonsensical reason. I really do think Louisville's going to win this game. Um, I picked Miami to win to beat Louisville before the season, and then I had Louisville bouncing back and winning kind of a an ugly, I think, twenty four twenty one ish game. And I still, you know, even with more data available now, I still feel like that's the way this one's going to go. Um, what's your overall prediction here for Saturday's game? Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be a low-scoring game um, because I do think that we'll have two teams that will do get it, do a good job of stopping the run and forcing some, you know, tough tough situations. And we saw last week that Louisville, you know, they can be handled on third downs, which you know against Western Kentucky they were really good last year. Overall, they were pretty good when they played well, and when they don't play well, that third down seemed to be a big thing. So I think that you know Pitt's really good at defending the third downs. Louisville, I think, can get themselves in a better position, not playing against some of these Miami athletes, and then no De'Ara King, obviously. So I think it'll be in that same range. I think Louisville can win a you know 28-24 type of game. Uh, before we end the podcast, I, I've got to mention this because um, I threw his name out there earlier. Are you ready for an inside Tyler Palco story? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sure. That's, that's the most random thing I'm thinking anybody's ever said in their, in their life. Keith, I have it on high authority that at one point in the prime of his career, which was, what, a year and a half, in the prime of Tyler Palco's career, he um, he hooked up with Miley Cyrus in a in a limousine outside of a club. That's that's Tyler Palco <laughs> fact, right there, allegedly. <laughs> oh, that, the, the story was just as random as Lee did. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. It's my favorite story that I've ever heard from somebody who, who knew Tyler Palco fairly well. I'm like, Tyler? Like, what is Miley Cyrus doing? She, Tyler Palco? <laughs> but more power to him. Congrats, Tyler. I'm happy I know that now. I, I'm, I'm a happier person now. It's changed the way that I view not just Palco, but pit football entirely. It, it, it altered everything. Um, shout out to Tyler Palco. You started one Monday night football game, and you hooked up with Miley Cyrus in a limo one time. I don't know where you are right now. You're probably listening to this somewhere um, in a very modest home, but shout out to you. <laughs> Um, all right. <laughs> I think that's the way we have to end the podcast. Now. We're going out on a Tyler Palco note. Uh, <laughs> cars beat Pitt. Keith, it's been uh, it's been fun. We'll talk to you uh, to next week.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.